Hello and welcome back to the Fins Nation UK podcast. We are here for our second ever episode and with us today is a very special guest. A man who finished his career with over 5,000 receiving yards, 12 yards per catch, 29 career touchdowns, the fifth most receiving yards in Dolphins history. With us today, otherwise known as Juice, is OJ McDuffie. How are you, OJ? Man, I'm doing much better, Andy, as you know, man. It's been a rough week for me, man, but it's so I'm so, it's such an honor to get on with you finally, man, and, and talk a little Dolphins football, man. You know, I love talking Dolphins football. Absolutely, and it's, um, you know, we did put out on last week about getting some questions in, and that is coming at the end of the episode. But sadly, you mentioned it just then. Um, you're a bit ill this week, so we've had a few days late and planned, but we are here now, which is the most important thing. <laughs> and we are here to talk all things about your career, which is the main reason we're here today. And we're going to talk mainly about your sort of career, about your growing up, high school, college and all of that, and going on then to your time with the Dolphins, who you spent your entire career with. Um, so we'll start now. Um, you were born and raised in Ohio. Um, was football always the aim for you? I mean, looking, doing some research on you, I mean, you excelled in other sports, you know, basketball, track and field, baseball, as well as football. So was it always football the aim growing up or was there another sort of sport or another sort of job that you were maybe looking at as a child or was it always football that you were sort of driving to do when you were a kid? Well, think about it is, you know, being in Ohio, growing up in Ohio, it was always about Ohio State, Buckeyes, football. Football is the biggest thing in that state. And everybody everybody cares about football, but then they care about other sports, you know, a, a, a fraction compared to football. But everybody loves football in the state of Ohio. So football was always something I loved. Um, only thing about it was growing up in Ohio, you know, you couldn't play tackle football until you were 10 years old. You can start playing flag football when you're eight years old. And so for me, I started playing all the other sports. They started like five or six years old. I played a little soccer. You talked about baseball, basketball, uh, th those different sports. We started playing those at the beginning. But, you know, as you know, in the UK, it gets cold at some point. So we had to go indoors at some point. So that's when, you know, the basketball sports happen and things like that. I live in Florida now. So these kids down here now, they play everything year round, which is ridiculous to me. I think you should play as many sports as possible. But football itself was the family sport. All my uncles played. I'm an only child, but I grew up with all my uncles. All They all played football. I went to all their football games when they were little, or, you know, in teens and all the way through high school and then some of them in the college. So football's always been the sport that I love more than anything. My mom loved my baseball career, which I got drafted, you know, to play in the Major League Baseball. But me, I was all about football the whole time. And, of course, you went to Hawkins School in Gates Mills, Ohio. Uh, in that time at school, you set the record for most all-purpose yards with 7,302, including a 108-yard interception return, which is an unofficial Ohio State record. So does that mean when you were a child, when you were playing in school, that you played, we see quite a few players I've seen interviewed before, they will play a multiple position. So does that mean from looking at that stat there that you did play not just wide receiver, you played other positions as a child. Yeah, I was on both sides of the football, actually. I played, um, you know, we, I went to a very small private school. Hawkins, a very small private school. Um, but we had a really, really good group of guys and good group of athletes. But being so small, the numbers on our football team were pretty small as well. So some guys had to play on both sides of the football. So I played mostly. Here's the thing about it, though, Andy. I played running back all my life until I got to Penn State. So at, at Hawkins, I was a running back. And and I was, you know, return kicks, return punts, but it's also playing safety, like you're talking about. 
And so my senior year is the year that, you know, I had that return. It, it was so funny because really it was a Hail Mary attempt at the end of a game that were, the team were playing. We were already up, I think, three touchdowns, but they still, you know, want to try a Hail Mary attempt. And, you know, we're supposed to knock it down, right? But when it looks, it looks so, it looked like a punt return to me when it was, when I was catching in the back of the end zone. And I decided to just bring it out and, you know, and, and try to, you know, try to run the clock down. It's only like 30 seconds left. And then the next thing you know, it just looked like I had a chance to get to the end zone. So um, that's why that unofficial stat, I even looked it up myself and it's still there at 108. I mean, somebody didn't go 109, but that's, that's about as good as it gets. Right. Uh, so, but yeah, both sides of the football was always a part of what I love because, as you know me as a football player, I love the physical part of it. And the only way I can get guys back from hitting me on offense is to play defense and be able to hit them back myself. So it was fun playing on both sides of the football in Ohio. Does that also sort of go in the whole mindset? Have you got to play all sort of – as you mentioned before that, I think you think every kid should play in multiple sports. Does that also help your career – did it help your career going forward, the fact that you did play on both sides of the ball so you know – from personal experience, when you go into the NFL, what a safety or what defensive back, what they what they do, or what they require when they're on the pitch, and does that does that almost help you when you came to play for the Dolphins? Absolutely, you know, and it's super important to, to emphasize that because you know the more positions you you play, the more you know, and the better better player you're going to be. You know, anybody that comes to the Miami Dolphins, if they played a bunch of positions, if there's a, a spot open for that fifty three that fifty third person on the team. You're going to look at somebody that has played multiple positions, you know, played every single wide receiver position, might have played a little defense, did some special teams. And when it comes down to cut day, that last day, the special teams coordinators, the guy is going to be like, well, this guy has done this and that and that. It's compared to some guy that's only played running back or some guy has only played wide receiver or some guy has only played corner, you know. So the more you do, especially in the NFL, when the rosters get cut down, the better off you are making a roster. That's fantastic, and I think that's a really good point you make. Uh, before we go on to Penn State, just some other honors you had whilst playing in, in um, high school. You were named the 1987 A-slash-AA Ohio, Ohio Player of the Year. Your number 32 is actually retired at your school, uh, and you were named number three in the list of Northwestern Ohio players of the 20th century. I mean, out of all those things I just mentioned, which one of those particularly for you stands out as maybe your favorite achievement you did whilst at high school? Well, I'm mad that I'm, on, I'm number three. That's for damn sure. <laughs> number three does not, <laughs> no. But if you look at that list, it's really, really great guys come out of Northeastern Ohio. It's really, really good football. It was a football factory when I was coming out. Um, you know, I mean, all of it's 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 fun, but I'm going to tell you what, you don't get those accolades without having a hell of a team. You know, my teammates bought into me being the guy most of the time, and then they doing their role and doing their part, and they helped me get there the whole way. You know, so... I mean, I think that the team honors that I got, uh, when you think about it, you know, being the player of the year, that's because we had a hell of a team. If you don't have a hell of a team, you don't get those, you don't get those accolades. And we went out there and we, we went out there and we performed and uh, we, you know, we had a lot of wins. I had three, I had three total losses in my high school career, you know, and two of those were in the, like state championships. So it was, uh, you know, and I, I never won a state championship in, in, in football, which is ironic because I did win one in track, <laughs> one track long jump, which I, which is something I, that's a whole different story if you want to talk about that. But at the same time, though, I think, you know, the individual stuff is, is kind of tough to like applaud myself for, but uh, considering I had such a great team. 
Well, you mentioned, and I actually want to ask you about that. That wasn't in the script, but I'll definitely ask you about your track and field success. Sounds like you had some wonderful awards in, in that field as well. Yeah, so it's so funny because you, you, you think about it here, you know, track and field and baseball play at the same time. And so what I used to do when I was playing baseball, which was my main sport in the, in the spring, we play a doubleheader on Saturday in between games. I'd go to the track and get my jumps in for long jump and high jump. And so uh, and then I go back and play the second game, you know, of the, of the baseball doubleheader. Uh, as a matter of fact, a buddy of mine just said that they, they outlawed that or um, they got rid of it, the ability to do that because they said that I caused uh, too much of a delay between games while I was over there doing that. And so now athletes are only allowed to do one sport in the fall, which is or in the spring, which is ridiculous to me. But anyhow, um, so all the sports that I played, my main sports were football, basketball, and baseball. Track was something I was just doing for fun. Um, sure enough, though, I, you know, track my sophomore, junior, and senior year, I make it to the state uh, in high jump and long jump. I got the state. I still have the high school um my high school's long jump and high jump record still somehow. I don't know how, um, but I actually won state long jump championship my senior year, my last event as a high school kid where I had not, you know, we've been really good in all our sports, but never won anything. My last event as a high school kid, I won the state long jump championship, which was, uh, you know, was, was pretty, pretty fun for me, man. That was, that was a lot of fun. And, you know, considering it was my fourth sport, sport that I didn't spend enough time on, uh, it was a hell of an honor for me. That's just fantastic. I mean, myself, I couldn't excel in one sport, let alone four. So to be able to, um, you know, to do that, it's pretty incredible. And that's, um, I imagine that helped you massively going into college in the NFL, the fact you had that experience um, playing in multiple sports. And that leads me really into your time at college. You spent five years with Penn State from 1988 to 1992. Safe to say, maybe the first three years didn't go to plan. Um, looking at your stats, you didn't really get the receptions the first three years. And then going on to your final two years, you had just under 800 yards and six touchdowns in 1991. And you had 977 yards and nine touchdowns in 1992. Just want to ask you first of all about those first three years um, and how it all went from that to then your final two years where you got all those stats and numbers I've just mentioned there. Was it just a matter of getting more targets, or would you put it down to something else that helped you go from sort of uh, maybe I'm guessing fifth or sixth choice wideout to then being the the main guy who was getting these numbers? Yeah, I tell you what, it's it's real simple. The game has changed a lot. You know, you see the game now, and you see these quarterbacks and wide receivers with all kinds of inflated stats. They throw the ball so much. Back when I was playing, back in those '80s, late '80s, early '90s days, it was run, run, run. You know, all we did was run, you know, and as a freshman, Joe Paterno didn't let a lot of freshman guys play anyways. So I'm a sophomore, you know, I got some more playing time. And as you, but the whole game plan was to run the football. And that was, that was hella boring. You know what I mean? But what it did was it made me a more route, more well-rounded receiver at that point too, because my blocking became very important. Um, and so that's what we did the first few years. The quarterback situation was a little, you know, up in the air at, at Penn State at that point. But then that junior year you're talking about, Kerry Collins became our quarterback, you know, and the whole game plan changed with, with Joe Paterno. We started throwing the ball a lot more. You know, we started opening up. We had three and four wide receiver sets. We didn't have any three or four wide receiver sets, you know, the, the previous three years we're talking about. So that's what happened with my numbers. I had the playing time, but I didn't have the opportunities because the game plan was completely different than what it changed to my junior and senior year. And then by my senior year, 
I mean, I was the number one target for carry the whole season. Man, we had a we had a hell of a year that year as well. No, fantastic. And I think certainly, you know, looking at, you know, how the, you mentioned the quarterback was changing and the stats you know, going up for receivers. And that certainly would have helped you going into the NFL, the fact that you were taken in the first round. Um, and I think that really leads me nicely, really, to your... Um, I Actually, before we did that, I couldn't find any stats in terms of you, you mentioned all your high school um, achievements. I couldn't quite find from my research whether you had, you know, gone out and done something in the college game. No, we did not. We we came up short way too many times. We had the number one slash number two recruiting class that came out that 88 year. We just completely underachieved. You know what I mean? And it was um it was sad. We had a lot of guys that were, they didn't call them four or five stars back then. They call them blue chip players. And we had a lot of blue chip players that did not pan out for us, you know, for for a number of reasons. And it was unfortunate because hell, we had guys that I mean, that that were top guys in every state. We had three or four guys that were number one players in their states that came to Penn State that year. And it just it just didn't work out for us. So no, we uh the best finish we ever had was third in the country. That's still a good achievement. That is still to say you finished third in the whole country, knowing how big your country is. Myself, who's traveled there last season, you know, for for three months. I know how big that country is to <laughs> third best in the, in the country, considering, you know. It's always been like Alabama, Texas, you know, all these massive, massive uh, colleges, you know, uh, the UCLA, you know, the, all these massive things that you always see every year. So to be third in the country and amongst that is, is a fantastic achievement. Uh, you mentioned Kerry Collins. Um, any other NFL names we know that you played with during your time at Penn State that we would know as as, re- as listeners? Well, let's see. Let me think here. So a lot of guys I played with or, um, you know, my, my first my my little brother is Kijana Carter. He was number one overall pick in 95. That was two years after me. Blair Thomas was my my big brother. He was a second overall pick to the Jets a couple years before, you know, I left uh, to go to the NFL. Um, Kerry's whole team actually was first rounders. Kyle Brady, Kijana, and Kerry, and those guys were all. Bobby Ingram was another kid that, is, you know, was one of the guys. Um, most of our guys, as you know, come out of Penn State are big, big linemen, big, ugly linemen. Big ugly defensive guys that nobody really knows their name. You know what I mean? <laughs> so uh, for the most part, man, it was like pretty much, you know, myself. Troy Drayton, you guys know from the Dolphins. He yeah, uh, he yeah. and I were classmates at, at Penn State. And it was great having him, you know, join us with the Dolphins after he was traded, you know, from the Rams to us when Jimmy Johnson became our head coach. So I mean, there are quite a few guys that, you know, went on to the league, but their their names are probably, you know, and they end up with like 10 to 12 year careers. But they're not big names. Oh, fair play, fair play. That's some some good names there. Um, so you mentioned the draft there. You were drafted twenty fifth overall in nineteen ninety three. Um, obviously, the draft these days is a much more of a televised product than it was back in your day. So, how would you say that the draft process was in your day compared <laughs> to what it is these days? Well, let me tell you, man. My draft story is, is kind of funny because I went. I actually went back to Penn State. Um, they had their annual. Uh, spring game and you know now you see the drafts on a thursday night here and uh it's a spectacle it's unbelievable what they do on draft night um for me our our draft was started on sunday afternoon at 12 you know no you know it's on tv but it wasn't anything like it is now you know uh the first round is uh you know on tv and so i knew i wasn't going you know in the first 
probably 15 picks. I knew that, you know, I just, just from all what the scouts said, what my agent had told me and everything like that. So I was at Penn state the night before partying. I drove back to my hometown in Cleveland and I got back that morning and I was exhausted. So I laid down and went to sleep. You know, I, I took a nap. My mom, I told my mom, just wake me up when he gets around 15 or 20 picks. You know what I mean? And he said, are you sure? Are you crazy? She thought I was nuts. You know what I mean? And so Sure enough, I wake up around 19th pick, and I was I thought I was going 22nd. I thought I was going 22nd to San Diego. That's what I was told the whole time, right? So I'm up, and I'm, I'm awake, and I'm ready, waiting for the phone call. 19 pick, 20, 21, then 22 comes up, and San Diego takes a guy I played against at Stanford, Gordon. I said, oh, man, I thought I was going to San Diego. 23 pick comes up, not me. 24 comes up, not me. And then 25, I get my first phone call. And my first phone call was the Miami Dolphins. And sure enough, it was Don Shula. Wow. And Shoes wow. asked me, you know, how would you like to be a Miami Dolphin? He said, no, would you like to be a Miami Dolphin? I'm like, hell yeah. Who wouldn't <laughs> want to be, you know, a Miami Dolphin? I mean, you got the weather, you got Coach Shula, you got Dan Marino, you got everything you want when it comes to that, man. So, I mean, it was just like unbelievable. So here's the thing about it. I had never had any inkling that the Dolphins were interested in me. Not one bit. I know they were at, they were at my pro day at Penn State, but so were all the other teams, you know? So the fact that the Dolphins uh, took me at 25, um, you couldn't ask for a better situation, especially for a wide receiver. Now, remember, I was a, a, a running back in high school, but when I got to Penn State, Joe Paterno moved me to wide receiver. And so that's when I started be, becoming a wide receiver. And sure enough, I get this opportunity and I'm going to the NFL and I'm playing with Dan Marino. Come on, man. You couldn't ask for a better situation. In South Beach, couldn't ask for a better situation. Absolutely. I think that, you know, it's like these days you saw, I mean, like Sky Moore and Pacheco, they're getting the call knowing they're playing Patrick Mahomes. And, you know, look at Bill's players who get drafted. Oh, it's Josh Allen or whether right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's um, it must be an amazing phone call to especially for a guy like you, a wide receiver especially, you're going to be receiving balls from one of the best players of all time in his position. And I think that that must have been quite something. I mean, you sort of alluded to there, but I wanted to ask you about which team spoke to you the most before the draft. You mentioned the Chargers just then uh, as one of the teams you spoke to, but which teams were you sort of predicting that you might go to? Was it the Chargers or were there any of the teams that maybe you were speaking to about potentially going to them beforehand? What was really strange is, you know, I had a few interviews in um, Indianapolis at Combine, and the Chargers were definitely one of them. The Dolphins weren't one of them. Um, I talked to the Browns um, and one other team that I can't remember right now. Um, but Browns were my home team. You know, for me, what I wanted to really do was I wanted to go close to home, you know what I mean, which is Cleveland or even Cincinnati, even though Cincinnati wasn't the best organization at that point. Or I wanted to go close to school which would be the Eagles or Pittsburgh Steelers. And I was right in the middle of it at, at Penn State. They were right in the middle of both of those organizations. Or I wanted to go warm. So San Diego would have been perfect. You know what I mean? Of course, Miami would have been perfect. So those are the, the teams that talk to me. So I think a lot of times, man, these guys play such a great chess game with players and with, you know, with, with everybody else. They don't want anybody to know who they're really thinking about. And the fact that the Dolphins had me high on their list like that, I mean, that was that was super important. They really wanted me to come in and be a return guy initially because, you know, the Marks brothers were still there. Uh, they were just picking up Urban Fryer and Mark Ingram and Tony Martin, was, you know, was there. So I knew I wasn't going to get an opportunity too much to play wide receiver. 
but they really want me to come in there and return punts and kicks, you know, kind of like that interception I had <laughs> returned in high school. Yeah, I mean, that that there's also, I mean, you mentioned before that you want, they wanted to be a punt receiver and looking at your stats again, you only had 36 targets your rookie year, only three starts in your sophomore year. Did that period I mentioned before in college where you weren't getting the targets, did that sort of almost prepare you now for NFL? Did when you were in those first two years where you weren't getting the targets you wanted, the Dolphin, did that sort of almost that period in college help you cope with what you're going through in the NFL? Maybe you, when you weren't getting the targets those first two years. Yeah, it really does. And I'm going to tell you why. You know, growing up, before I got to, you know, to college, you know, I was the, you know, I quote unquote, and all these guys in the league as well, they can all say the same thing. They were the man, you know? So that means that they were the best player for the most part, their whole career getting into all the way up through high school, you know, every team that they played on. So then when you get to, you know, you get to the to college, it's a little bit of humble pie. You know I mean? You're just one of the guys at that point, you got to earn your way back up to the top every single time. So it absolutely helped me going through what I went through at Penn State knowing that I just got to wait my time, bide my time here for the Miami Dolphins before I get my opportunities. You know, they didn't pick me in the first round for no reason. You know, so I just got to keep working hard, stay humble, listen to the veterans. If they tell you to go pick up some food, they tell you to go pick up some, you know, some iced teas, if they tell you to go pick up some donuts, go do it. You know what I mean? Humble yourself. You'd be hungry out there yourself and just listen. And I just tried to absorb everything those first couple of years Knowing that, you know, this is what I wanted to do for the, you know, for my career. And I think that Penn State experience definitely helped me out for my first few years with the Miami Dolphins. And you hear about a lot of rookies or sophomores in the NFL where they do, you know, they often have to do things. I think these days a lot of players, they have to buy the buy the meal for the whole team or something. Or you're saying back then it was buying donuts or buying food. So which we see obviously with our football as well, especially in the olden days, players would often have to do certain things to try and almost fit in with the, with the organization, the players around them. So for anyone who's listening, who's a young player trying to get into the NFL, trying to make it to the NFL, make it in college, would you say doing things like, like that, the buying food for the team, doing all these things that a lot of rookies do, does that sort of help you almost, almost the team bonding uh, with your, with your teammates around you? I'm going to tell you what, yeah, here's the thing. Once you do those things and they're not doing these things. And I did it myself when I was a veteran, you know, had some young guys go out and do certain things. They're not doing it as a as a mean thing. It really is a bonding situation. And they want to see how, how – is this rookie going to buy in? Is this rookie going to fall in line? You know, and bottom line is this. You really need the veteran guys to lean on, you know. We don't know how to travel. We don't know what to wear. We don't know what to pack. You know, we, we've never – we've done this in college, but it's a different level when you get to the pros, you know. We're looking at uh, different things in life, you know, as a football player. How do you take care of your body? You know, in college, they tell you everything. You know, everything is like, they they they, they almost babysit you the whole time through college. And you get to the pros, you're on your own, you know, uh, other than what goes on with the team. So I think no matter what, my, the biggest advice I give to all the young guys is be hungry, but be super humble. I don't care how great you were in college. All these guys are good. All these guys are great in the pros. So be ready for that situation. And don't go in there thinking that what you did in college means anything to these guys in the pros you know especially as a young guy if you go in there as a rookie think about it Andy. if you go in there as a rookie and uh you're i don't know say a first round pick you know you're playing wide receiver there's a db you could be going against that is seventh or eighth year in the league that's fighting for a roster spot 
You know what I mean? He's got a wife and kids at home. So he's going to be going hard at his teammate because he needs to, he's got to go in there and battle. So you got to be ready to battle too, but you also got to be super respectful of those guys too and know what they're going through in order to, you know, in order to, you know, be a, a, the best teammate you can be. So as a rookie, make sure you go out there and you humble yourself, you know what I mean? And take in all the advice you can get and go from there. That's really fascinating. Do you think that's also why we see a lot of, you mentioned about the fight and the hunger these players have, and just just think, think this is why you see a lot of players who get drafted late as opposed to ones that are drafted first overall. Do you think that's why we see them almost perform better in the pros? Because you get a a guy who's taken in the first two or three picks, mainly quarterbacks, sometimes other positions, and they've gone through the whole of college, the whole of the high school as the man you mentioned before. But they go into it as the guy. Whereas you look at their fifth, sixth round pick, like Tyree Kill for the Dolphins right now, like Tom Brady, the classic example, where they've got that chip on their shoulder, where they're almost fighting for their position before they've even had a single snap in the NFL. They're going for their first training camp, their first off season, their first summer, and first few weeks in the NFL. Do you think that that's almost sometimes why players succeed more because? They haven't got that mantra of everything's been given to me. I know I'm the guy where just, do you think that's why it's because purely because they have got the hunger and that desire. And that's the almost point to prove as opposed to those who are just given everything from high school onwards. Yeah. Then, you know, it's a great point. Here's the thing about it. I think that um, everybody that goes in NFL to be a drafted first overall or last overall, like Purdy last year, they've all got talent. They've all got talent. So what's going to be your edge? Everybody's got talent. So what's going to what's going to be the thing that pushes you over the top to make you better than the man next to you? And a lot of that is motivation. What are you motivated by? Um, a lot of guys, you know, I talk about this all the time. Like, what are you motivated by when you come to the NFL? Are you motivated by the money? Are you motivated by the stardom? Are you motivated by, you know, being on TV? What, what, whatever, whatever your motivation is. Are you motivated by the fact that you weren't picked as high as you wanted to be? Whatever your motivation is, use that to be the best player you can be, you know? And for sure, those guys, I'll give you a perfect example. You know, we, we're about to drop the podcast we just uh, did and recorded with uh, um, with Zach Thomas. Seth Levin and I am on the Fish Tank podcast. We just recorded one with Zach, and it was so incredible to hear him talk about how throughout his whole career, even when he was knew he was great, or we knew he was great, he would never say he was great, but we knew he was great, his motivation was still the fact that he was a fifth round pick, you know what I mean? And that people underestimated him and he still, his drive was still there every single time. You know, was, you know, we had Larry Izzo on. Larry Izzo had 14 years in the NFL and every single day he worried about getting cut. You know, those are the, those are the motivations that, you know, that these guys, you know, have that make them the best players they can be, even though they're really, really good. Whereas some of these first round guys, they know they're safe. You're safe for at least two or three years, at least. You're not gonna. You might not get cut, but you might get traded. You know, what I mean, things like that because they still still some value in you. But these other guys, that hunger, that desire, that you know, you know, uh, that pissed off attitude, is definitely what motivates them to be as great as they are. And what got them there is what they kept using to keep them there. And you sort of in the middle of that. You weren't a fifth round pick like Zach Thomas. You weren't a first overall pick like a Peyton Manning or on the other side, Jamarcus Russell. But for you, what was your motivation? Because you had obviously had 24 teams that passed on you in the first round. Was that maybe your motivation or was there something else that really motivated you to become a player you were that eventually became um, into the Hall of Fame for the Dolphins in 2013? 
I'm gonna tell you what, man. I was just happy to stay in the first round, bro. I'm like, <laughs> I, I was, I was, I was needy and not greedy at that point. You know, I, I didn't. There were two receivers that went before me, Curtis Conway and uh, Sean Dawkins. Those two guys went seven and fifteen, and um, they were better receivers at that point. You know, they were more polished because of you know the, the systems they played in and just bigger guys and faster guys. And so I understood where I was, but if I could stay in that first round, I was okay. And think about this, though, Andy, too. If you get drafted late in the first round, that tells you you're going to a hell of a team. That team is good, right? And so, yeah, yeah. yeah those <laughs> yeah. guys, yeah, yeah, they can go to those first those first couple of picks. They're going to bad teams, you know? So I went to a hell of a team, and that was that. You know, throughout my whole career, we we competed and we kicked a lot of, kicked a lot of butt. Yeah, I think certainly where you land matters. I think if Mahomes had gone to the Browns or, um, sorry, if actual hometown team or, you know, or if like, you know. Hey, you can tell, hey, I don't like them anymore. They didn't pay any of my bills, bro. You know, they had a chance to drive me like you talked about, those 24 that passed on me. They were one of them. So the hell with them too. <laughs> but I I think, you know, if Roethlisberger had gone to a Jacksonville or, you know, if the these great quarterbacks had gone to these or Montana had gone to back in the day, he'd gone to a back then a really bad organization. I think they wouldn't have had the success they do. So I think right. sometimes I think me myself, if I was a player, I would almost get rather get taken 30th overall in the first round or um, you know, 25th overall, like, like you were. And I think that it's a great point. I think most of the time, sometimes you get trades, etc. where you know, a bad right. team is that position. But most of the time, if you're getting picked 32nd overall, 31st overall, you're going to a really good team. So I think that's why I think that's why as well we see a lot of players who do succeed who are like Lamar Jackson was thirty second overall. You know all these players that come into the league, um, a lot lot of them are are actually not in the first ten picks. A lot of the best picks we see, unless you're Joe Burrow, unless you're Peyton Manning, most right. of the time these great players. Aaron Donald was in the twelfth overall, I think he was. Well, yeah, but you look at though, you look at Burrow and Peyton. They they struggled a little bit those first mm. couple years until they could build something around them, man. And that happens a lot of times, man. I mean, they they struggle until you can build. You have to build around. You start there. I mean, obviously, this this game is a quarterback-driven league, and it's a cliche, but it's the absolute truth. There's no more important position in sports than a quarterback position. Um, you know, when, when you talk about, you know, any sport, you can look at any sport, and when somebody hits it right on their quarterback, you see the success that happens with the whole, the whole organization. And uh, you look at, the, you know, the Drew Brees, the Tom Brady's, the – you know, Peyton Manning's and Patrick Mahomes, the, all those guys, you know, even Joe Burrow. Look at what Joe Burrow's been able to do for the Cincinnati Bengals, a team that was struggling mightily, you know, and they're going to be better and better. I mean, uh, it's like you hit on that quarterback position. Yeah, you know, you talk about football, you know, when you're talking about soccer football, you know, you can have, I mean, you could tell me, I mean, school me a little bit. You can have forwards, midfield. You you could have a different guy that could be the guy on your team that's that's super important compared to, you know, and look at basketball. You could have a guard that's really good or a forward that's really good or a center that's really good and that, that carries your team. When it comes to football, it's strictly that quarterback position, you know, and when we hit on it, which I think we have hit on it, we just got to keep them upright. We've hit on it with Tua. Tua and, and another year in this system, we'll get into that, I'm sure. I yeah, mean, yeah. that's that's it's, it's really, really important. We'll get into more of that, I'm sure. But man, it it it's it, it, it to hit that home run with those guys, it's it's super important for your organization. 
Sitting. And that will come in part two. We are going to head to a quick break now. We are going to come back with part two as we discuss the rest of OJ's time at Miami, his thoughts on the current Dolphins team, and a Q&A special at the end. See you guys in a bit. And welcome back to the second half of the Fins Nation UK podcast with my interview with former Dolphins receiver OJ McDuffie. Now, OJ, um, since your first two years, it's safe to say that your um, your time with the Dolphins certainly rose and your stats got better and better. Looking at your 95 season, you had 819 yards, eight touchdowns. In 96, you had 918 yards with eight touchdowns. 97, you had 943 yards with one touchdown. And then 1998 season, the one which saw you become the receiving uh, the receptions leader, sorry, um, 1,050 yards with seven touchdowns. And you ended your career with a total of 5,074 yards with 29 touchdowns. You had a great Dolphins career. Um, what would you say, um, actually, before we do that, other stats that went on, you're the first player in NFL history to record a to call 90 or more re- uh, receptions and 10 or more punt returns uh, without a fumble. The only player to do this since is Antonio Brown. Um, so, yeah, for me, for you, what would you say has been your overall highlight or maybe one highlight that stuck out for you in your entire time with the Dolphins? Well, let me tell you this. Let's go back to the beginning of my career, whereas, you know, I had a little problem with Dan Marino. You know, Marino went to Pitt. I went to Penn State. We don't like each other. We're, <laughs> we're like rivals in the state, you know what I mean? So Danny, he, he kind of, you know, we joke about this all the time. He refused to throw me the football, man. And I should have more catches those first few years, man. You see those stats are terrible the first few years. <laughs> because Danny was like, man, Pitt and Penn State, we don't, nah. But we we figured it out, obviously, since, man. You know, we we figured it out. Danny and I, man, we were on such a great um had such a great relationship on and off the football field. And we still could maintain a good relationship as well. But we started, man, just, just knowing what he wanted from a receiver, what he, you know, what he expected from the guys, the, the, stop, the, the studying, the knowledge, you know, the film study. That was fun. You know, I said, you know, a couple of tables away from Danny, but every time he sees something on film, I'm pointing at him like, I see it too, you know? And we were always on the same page and that's how, the numbers start getting better and better and better. As a matter of fact, we got to the point where Jimmy Johnson said that Danny was throwing the ball to me too much, you know? And Danny said, what, well, how we're, we're, we're converting. We're getting first downs. We're moving the chains. We're doing all this, but you know, that's just Jimmy. That's, that's a whole different story as well, you know, but and I'm going to tell you, it was just, it was such an honor to play with Danny. Um, It was such an honor to play for the Miami Dolphins. But to see, like you talk about, the numbers just go up, you know, and the trust go up and the opportunities go up. And, you know, when you think about Nat Moore, when you think about Mark Duper, you think about Mark Clayton, you know what I mean? You, you think about some of the guys that, you know, that, that were Dolphin receivers. And for me to be the first guy on the Dolphins to ever lead the league in receptions was, I mean, that was, I, I had no idea that was even possible. You know, and it, it was it was a super honor for me to be able to be a part of something special. But I'm going to tell you, it was me and Danny counting on each other, relying on each other. And, and oh, man, oh, my God, I forgot. The great Paul Warfield was another great wide receiver for the Dolphins that, you know, for me to be that guy, it was, it was special. But it really came down to Danny and I sitting there watching film, putting in extra work, 
you're on the side fields, um, you know, talking about it. And then it, it gave me opportunities, man. So it was it was it was fun. I had I had a lot of fun. I, I really did. I mean, playing wide receiver in, in our system with Marino, uh, it was just a lot of fun, man. Yeah, I mean, you've there you've praised Marino very, very well. And he also praised you. I look back and watched your game against the Seahawks in the wildcard round. A uh, quote from him saying, this guy is tough. He's the leader in my offense. He makes plays and knows how to run with the football after he makes a catch. I mean, he's been often, he was often, you often seen as his favorite receiver and the guy he went to a lot of the time. Um, obviously, you saw Marino in a lot of different lights, what we saw him. I mean, not myself, I was born in 95, but most people listen to this podcast are of a certain age and they'll remember the Marino day. You were young and you were young and died. You were <laughs> young and like that, bro. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my first coach I remember was Joe Philbin. That's how easy of a fan I am. It's, <laughs> it's um, yeah, I've, I've basically, I've never seen this win a playoff game and you've obviously played in a lot of playoff games and, um, yeah, I, I've seen this play to the skin. It's speech. coming, Andy. It's coming. Hang in oh, there, yeah. bro. Yeah, Hang I mean, there, brother. so close this year, but, um, yeah, no, I think that will come back. So I've got a question for you. I know. Okay. And hold your spot right there. All right. What year did you become a Dolphin? Um, I became a fan of the team 2009. I met, uh, I mentioned a story in the last podcast. Basically, I came across the TV one day. I think it was Saints Chargers, London in 2008. I bought Madden as a result of that. And I was like, I have no idea. But I was going to Orlando six months in, in six months' time, and I remember my brother was walking down the stairs. I said to him, "Which team's closest to Orlando?" He told me Miami Dolphins, and it was actually is incorrect. It turned, I think Tampa Bay is the closest to yeah. Orlando Universal <laughs> Studios, but um, pick them on the game. I you love know. your brother. I love your brother. <laughs> yeah, me too. But, but <laughs> he's, he's made a lot of mistakes, but that's certainly not one of them. Um, the, the best one he's made, I should say. But um, yeah, I just used a lot of them on the game. Ronnie Brown, Ricky Williams. You know, and then for years and years, I think for a while, because I was, you know, there was no back then, there was no source of watching it on my iPad like there is now. So it was more of a case where I couldn't tell my brother, my mum, my dad to flick over to the NFL on Sunday. So for years, it was just checking the results. And then 2015 time was when I really started to follow it properly. And then that's really where it became. So I'm used to players like Kenny Stills, Devontae Parker. I know he's just left, but Mike Gazicki, you know, and all these players I've come before. Jay Jai, which is great because he was obviously yeah. he was British born. So um yeah. yeah, so it's been a lot of year, lot a lot of years of hurt. But I'm hoping last year was nice. I know we collapsed slightly towards the end, but to be eight and three, I'd never seen that before ever. So that was just that was just fantastic. And I'm hoping that, you know, as the years go on now, Tua seems to be turning the corner a little bit if he can sort out you know, if we can sort that defensive line and protect them a bit more, I think that certainly we're on to a good, a good future. Bro, that's that's good stuff. Man. I love hearing, you know, how you became a Dolphin story, man. And that, that's a great one right there, bro. Because honestly, you know, my kids, you know, I have a 20-year-old and a 14-year-old, and they haven't really seen very good Dolphin football play. And they're still fans because they have to be. Otherwise, I disown them, you know. <laughs> um, so, but I, I love hearing, you know, the, the fact that, you know, you became a fan, you know, so really, so, I mean, just re not recently, but, you know, in the, in the in your mid-2000s, and you're still a fan, this team that hasn't done what we expect them to do. But they're about to, bro. Mm -hmm. They're definitely about to. And I love where we're at with Coach McDaniel, you know, and we, you know, we talked about with Tua. But, man, good stuff, man. I, I love hearing those stories, though. That's why I asked you. But I'm sorry if I interrupted what you already had <laughs> scheduled. No problem at all. I always love telling my story because I feel like, 
a lot of UK fans, they gravitate towards players. I mean, even a lot of Dolphins fans in our group, from the UK group, were Dolphins fans from a certain age. Dan Marino basically made him a fan. I know a lot of people who were like that in our group. But, you know, a lot of people, I mean, I base mine based on a family holiday. And I know some people do that with New York. But I think that, you know, when you hear, when you hear people that in the UK that follow the Bengals, which is not a tourist destination, or a, someone who follows the Browns, or someone who follows a team that's rubbish. You know, I think it's, um, I always love hearing these stories. And I think that, I don't think many, not many can say they pick their team based on a geographical mistake. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know what? A lot of ladies, a lot of women like our team because of the colors. So the colors mm. work out for us well, too. So whatever it takes to yeah. become a Dolph fan, do it. You know what I mean? Like I talk about the motivation to be the best football player you can be. Whatever it takes you to be our fan, just, just do it. Whatever happens, happens. Well, I will say that I'm, I feel like I'm a little bit of a curse. I've been to four Dolphins games in my lifetime, three last season, and then one the year before that in London. I've owned four Dolphins games. Oh, well, okay. Now, <laughs> so see, now, that's a different now, Andy. Now that just changed everything with us right here. So that means you are not allowed back. You're not allowed back in the States for one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think I have because I saw always lose in London to the Jaguars and then I, I saw always lose in Cincinnati. That was a, that was a bad loss. That oh, Jaguar loss was a bad loss. That one broke my heart. Being in London as well, which obviously London, the Jaguars are London's team. So to lose in a moment, a lot of Jaguars fans was quite tough. I know the Dolphins are quite well followed, but even so, that was tough. But then being there for the game where Tua got his concussion against the Bengals, that was tough yeah. seeing that. Um, seeing us lose to the Vikings on a, on a fan club weekend in Miami. Yeah. Um, that was a bad loss, too. Another yeah. bad loss. Even though the Vikings end up being a very good team. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought that weekend was a bad loss. It was a mm -hmm. bad loss for us, yeah. Yeah. And then also seeing us lose to the Chargers and so far, um, that was tough as well. Although we saw a really funny touchdown from Tyree Kill, but at the same time, you know, I'm hoping that I'm going to, I'm hoping to go to that's Washington game, but that's the Ravens game this season, or the Eagles game. I'm going to try to go to at least one or two this season. So hope, oh, I'm nice. Hoping. Fingers crossed that I am, um, you know, I can be able to finally see us win a game live because I've not, not done that yet. <laughs> awesome, bro. Yeah. Well, you, hey, this is your year, bro. This is, I'm counting on you. I'm oh, counting on you, bro. Fingers crossed. Well, I hope so. Um, yeah, fingers crossed. But if the team's winning, I don't mind whether I'm at home or, you know, at a game. So, um, but yeah, going back to Dan Marino, um, I mean, you obviously saw him much more than, than fans did. So, what was he like, first of all, off the field? But also, you must have seen some great things in practice, some great throws he would have made um, day in, day out on the on the, on the practice field. Yeah, Danny, Danny's a he's a great guy, man. He really is, man. He gets a bad rap sometimes because um, some people think he's rude or whatever. Danny is a rock star, you know. And when they talk about him being rude, it's because they come up to him when he's at dinner with his family. You know, he's got a fork in his hand about to eat something and they, you know, tap him on his shoulder, you know, and it's tough. I would, you you do when you don't want to be Dan Marino in South Florida, mm. you know, it's great that you're Dan Marino, but then you can't really go anywhere and enjoy yourself, especially with your family, man. So for him, he's always been great to me and his teammates and my family. You know, I have a, a, a charity Catch 81 Foundation. And every time I have an event, I invite Danny to come out. He's there, you know, and he he weathers that storm of fans and autographs and stuff like that. You know what I mean? And then he, you know, he's just so gracious with his time with us. And as players and former players and teammates and friends, we appreciate that. He's just a, just an unbelievable guy. And now I'm so happy for him being a part of the organization now. 
you know, in a position where the team's going to do some special things. Danny's got a legitimate chance of getting a, a ring being a part of his organization because the organization is headed in that direction. It really is. And nobody more deserving of a ring than Dan Marino. People always ask me, like, when I was playing, like, yo, don't you want to get a ring for Danny? Yeah, but I want to get one for myself, too. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm really playing for a ring for myself. But I think Danny's got a really, really good opportunity now because he deserves one, man. You, you People say, like, you know, they talk about the greatest quarterbacks and they want to leave him out because he doesn't have a championship. Football is the the ultimate team sport, you know? If you don't have it all, if you don't have the whole thing going, you're not going to win championships. Quarterbacks don't win it by themselves. Defenses don't don't win it by themselves. You need that that whole package, man. And so when Danny was there, he just didn't have the whole package. And so uh, that's why he's one of the greatest to me. He's definitely top three quarterbacks ever, in my opinion. And I am a little biased, but I also saw what you're talking about in practice. Some some of the most incredible throws you ever see. Some of the throws he did in practice were better than some of the throws he did in the games. Have you seen some incredible throws in games? But some of the ones he's done in practice. We're like they, they stop everything stops everybody just stops like wow you see that and then for him it's like it's like nothing it's like it's like a walk in the park for him you know his arm his 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 accuracy everything about it was just uncanny and, and it was so much fun to watch and of course as a young guy going into camp you're like hell I got Dan Marino and he took pride in showing these young guys you know the ball's gonna be on you right now the ball's gonna be here here's where I expect you to be at this point you know, and sure enough, boom, boom, ball right here. Perfect spot, perfect spiral. Everything was just beautiful, man. So, I mean, it was it was just fun, man. And like he said, man, he's just such a great guy overall that um just blessed. I was blessed to play with an incredible court. I could have gone anywhere. You talk about the other teams. I mean, there were a few other teams that had great quarterbacks. And I'll tell you a little tidbit that I heard, you know, if I didn't get picked by the Dolphins at 25, I was going to Buffalo at 26. Okay. Okay. So, so I'd have been, you know, I, I'd play with Jim Kelly, another great quarterback, but that, that team was really good too. But man, I, the hell with Buffalo. I'm so <laughs> happy. I'm so blessed that Don Shula called me, man. And I got a chance to play with the great Dan Marino, man, because we had a hell of a career. Yeah. I think for me, I think there's no question that he is the best, certainly best quarterback never to win the Super Bowl. And it's funny because, you know, I don't know how much you follow our version of football, but my team is Liverpool. And you can see behind me a player, post a player called Steven Gerrard. He's seen as the best ever player not to win a Premier League medal. And I think that it's just so uh, it's just ironic that the fact that my two favourite sports teams uh, both have... I'm going to have to follow that now, man. I'm going to have to yeah. check that out now. I'm going to yeah, do some it, research now, Andy. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, if you check his highlights, well, he's got some amazing highlights. He scored one. He's got, he's got a final named after him. There was an FA Cup final in 2006 where he had two goals and one assist. And he basically single-handedly won us that game. And I think that... I recommend to you as well if you get how, how many years in now for him uh, he's, he retired in well he left us in, he retired in 2017 I think but he left okay. he was there for like 15-20 years local lab okay. from Liverpool yeah. um, he's got one of some of the best individual plays you'll ever see from, from a from a footballer so yeah, if you get time today or tomorrow just go on okay. YouTube check him out he scores some amazing goals and um, yeah he's certainly my favourite player of, of my lifetime but um, yeah just Definitely similarities between Dan Marino and Steven Gerrard. And I think that they both, you know, I think they both have their legacy by rival fans or by other people who don't support the Dolphins. And Liverpool often use that as sort of like a stick to tease us because, you know, Dan Marino didn't get Super Bowl or, you know, 
Stephen Gerrard didn't get Premier League, even though he, did, he won a right. Champions League, won everything else. And Dan Marino, you know, for years and years, he was uh, number one in all these different stats, which is a testament to how good he was uh, with how the game's gone these days. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a lot of similarities. And I think that, yeah, certainly he deserves a ring more than a lot of people. I think more than John Elway, because he won one as a player, more than a lot of these people, like John Lynch, who won one with, with the um, Buccaneers, uh, things stuff like yeah. that. I, yeah. think, yeah, I think he certainly... I think if he if you want to see Bowl, I'm certainly going to be there for it. Whether it's watching it in Miami or watching it in whatever city, uh, whether that's in a wherever it's being held, whether it's in the stadium outside. But I think I'll definitely try and get there. But I think what I'll, if we win the whole thing, whether it's with two L, whether it's with someone else in ten years' time, I think the first person, forget the owners, the first person who should be the guy lifting the Lombardi Trophy should be Dan. If he's he's, he's got a big part to play now in the Dolphins organization. There's yeah. a lot of stuff going on with Tua, helps him out a lot, and I think that. He by far deserves to be the first guy to to lift it if he were to be successful. Yeah, you know what? And the organizations, you know, they think the world of Dan Marino as they should, man. And you know, Tom Garfinkel, our, our you know our president, and of course, Miss Stephen Ross, our owner, man. They, you know, they they hold Danny, you know, up like they should. You know, Marino uh, has been a, a pillar down here in South Florida for a long time, man, and, and he's. He's a, obviously, you know, a well-known figure, but he's also just a great guy, man. And I look forward to, you know, him being still a part of it. He's, you know, he sits in those meetings a lot of times. Mm-hmm. He doesn't say much because he doesn't want to step on, you know, coach's toes. But, you know, a lot of times, too, and those guys, they bounce things off of Danny. And, you know, and Danny's seen it all and done it all. You know, even in this new age of football, Danny still can – he can read it. And one thing about Danny, he'll tell you, he's, he can still throw the football, man. He can still spin it, and you know what I mean. So uh, I love that about him, man. The fact that you know he he loves the organization, he loves being a part of, but he's also a part of a lot of what's going on right now. Yeah, and I think he's definitely you know a role model to all Dolphins fans. He's just he is the guy. You know, he's um you know Joe Montana in Forty Nineers history, and Tom Brady in, in New England a few years will be held the same way. I think there's just certain guys which basically define a franchise. I think Dan Marino is is the guy, and I think that. There's a reason why he's the only player I can think of that's got a statue outside Hard Rock that isn't Don Chula. So um, right. it shows how, and obviously number 13's retired as well. So yeah, for me, um, yeah, I think no one's better than him. Couple, quick couple more questions before we do go on to our Q&A. Um, you had some great games in your career. So looking at the stats, you had 10 in total, 100 yard or more yard games. This includes, you had um, in 98, 102 yards and three touchdowns against the New Orleans Saints in Miami. Uh, you had 132 yards and two touchdowns against the Indianapolis Colts back when they were in your division. And then 96, you had 121 yards and two touchdowns against the Eagles in Philadelphia. And also you had 154 yards and one touchdown in the wildcard game against Bills in 1995 season. So what would you say, it might be those games, might be a different game. What would you say has been your favourite game you took part in as a Dolphin? Well, you talk about a couple games. Um, Eagles game... We lost the uh, Bills playoff game. We lost, if I recall. Yeah, I do remember. Yeah, we lost that game. I guess of of those, my favorite game, honestly, um, was game one. But my my next favorite game has got to be the uh, Saints game you just referenced because that's when Dan Marino was sitting at uh, (laughs) – it was so funny. He had 398 touchdown passes at that point. And we're in the locker room, and Danny's like, after I throw my second touchdown pass, 
which he already knew he's going. He already knew he's going to throw at least two. After I throw my second touchdown pass, I'm going to need that football. He was telling all the all the skilled guys, receivers, running backs, tight ends. After I throw my second touchdown pass, I'm going to need that. I'm going to, I'm going to need that football. And sure enough, you know, I caught 399. I was on the sideline. We we're like uh, first and goal from like the five, and the play comes in. It's like a quick out call, and I'm on the sideline. And Coach Ford, my wide receiver coach, said, OJ, get in there, get in there. He put me in the game because he knew that I was the one that was meant to catch Danny's 400 touchdown pass. You know what I mean? And sure enough, we run the quick out. I get in the end zone, get it across the goal line, and I was able to embrace Danny with the football that he said he needed after he threw a second touchdown pass. So that New Orleans Saints game, man, where I had three. So that was – it's so funny because that was one in – you know, I caught the first one too that game. So I got 399. I got a chance at – I got 400. Gave him the football. They stopped everything. It was it was, it was a beautiful situation, man. And then um, I also caught 401 in that game. So I got three in that game, you know. And I gave one to my aunt, Seeley. I gave number two to Dan Marino. I gave number three to my mom. So it was like, um, it was a hell of a game for me, man. That's the best game of my career there. Fantastic stuff. Um, finally, just talk about coaches you played under. So you played under three head coaches during your time. So the main one was Don Shula, uh, Jimmy Johnson as well, as well as um, Dave Wanslet. Apologies if I pronounced that wrong. Wanslet, um, yep. Yeah, there's no point in ranking them because you all know what the order is. But in terms of how would you compare... I know Dave is obviously for a very short time in your Dolphins career, but in terms of how would you were those all different in terms of their coaching styles? How would you compare Shula, Jimmy Johnson, and and Wanslet? Oh uh, well, here's the thing. Um, this is this is a touchy, touchy subject for me. Um, love Don Shula. I, I I mean, I go from Joe Paterno to Don Shula, and you couldn't ask for a better transition you know, from the college game to the pro game um, with, with coaches when it comes to their stature, when it comes to what they demand and command from their players and from the respect situation, you know. Um, one thing I learned about Shula, though, too, is like Joe Paterno and our whole staff, coaching staff at Penn State, they didn't curse. Nobody, my whole life, I was never, even my high school coaching staff, nobody cursed. I got to the NFL, that all changed, Andy. That was <laughs> and I learned it right away. <laughs> that it is a it's a grown man business here, you know, and real men. And so that was that was definitely something that was something different. But no matter what, same coaching style, respect. He 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 expected a lot out of us in terms of film study, work, workouts, um, being on time, being early. Everything was the same. I mean, it was it was really refreshing. It was a really not a, a a tough transition going from Paterno to Shula because they both expected the same from their players. You know, the work ethic, the hard work, and um, you know everything else you have to do to be professional. Um, Jimmy was a different story. You know, Jimmy was a situation where I had to prove myself all over again to a new head coach, which a lot of guys do. Whenever there's a coaching change, you know. Sometimes, I mean, those aren't – that's not – the guys that are on the roster already aren't the current next coach's players. 
you got to start all over again. So me and Marino and some other guys had to start all over again. And for the most part, I don't think we were Jimmy's favorites, but I proved that I could stay there longer than a lot of other guys. We, we turned that roster over so much with Jimmy because he wanted to get rid of so many guys that Shula had. And I, to be honest with you, and I, I'll keep it real short, I wasn't a big fan of his. And he wasn't a big fan of mine. So we'll leave it at that. Wanstead came in after that. I, I love Wanstead. I, I do. I love Dave. Uh, we've had him on our podcast. He's been, a, he's been great. Um, at that point, though, I was hurt, played. Then I retired, so I didn't get much of Wanstead. But you know, there's nobody better in those three coaches than uh, than, than than Don Shula. And then I put Wanstead next. And then the, you mentioned then you had an injury which ended your career. It was a career-ending toe injury. Is that maybe one regret of yours? The fact that you couldn't end your career maybe on your own terms? Well, you know what? I, I could have ended my career on my own terms, but you know, that's part of the reason I don't like Jimmy Johnson. They, you know, they didn't allow me to. They allowed me to go out there and destroy my career. And that's exactly what I did. You know, so a lot of guys, you know, I'm I'm no different than most guys. A lot of guys don't end their career the way they want to, you know, especially after getting nine years in the league. You know, you, I mean, at that point, everybody said, well, your career's over anyways. I, I still had a few more years left, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, my foot injury definitely was a part of the end of my career. Um um, but it was uh, something that could have been avoided. But at the same time, man, I got some great years in. And I, I was, I'll leave it at that. I got some great years in. I'm still a Dolphin. I got all years in with the Dolphins. I'm still doing work with the Dolphins. So I, I couldn't be uh, more blessed, my man. And then we actually forgot to mention about um, your current thoughts on the current Dolphins team. I mean, we mentioned to her before. Um, Jaden Ramsey's come in in recent weeks, blockbuster trade there. Well, I say that as only a third-round pick. I don't know how we did that. Um, what's your thoughts on how the season's going to go? Um, and we, I'd love to get you on again during the season, see how we get on. But in terms of your thoughts right now, obviously pre-draft, pre-summer you know, summer camp and all that, how would you, what's your assessment on the Dolphins going into the 2023 season? And how do you think we can do this season? Well, you know, I'm a big homer. I'm going to tell you this right now, but I'm going to tell you, we are, it's the best team I've seen us have in a long time. It really is. What I'd love most is that coming into our second year with who I love coach Mike McDaniel as our head man and, and a signal caller, I mean, or, or play caller. And then we got our quarterbacks, all our line, all our running backs, most of our skilled guys outside in this system for a second year. That's going to be huge. The, the growth, the growth we're going to have from year one to year two in this offense is going to be incredible. And it always happens that way. A lot of times with us, as you know, and you talk about you came in with Philbin being a coach. How many coaches have you seen since then? I mean, it's you can't even count them on one hand, right? Yeah, it's been I a mean, lot. Adam Gase, who I'd rather not speak about. You know, you got Philbin. I liked Flores, but obviously he couldn't get the offense going as well. And then with Daniel, whilst I do think with Daniel, I think at times last season made it some questionable play calling. I think over yeah. the way he's off. Gone, yeah, it's a rookie. It's a rookie stuff, right? So yeah, yeah. imagine him in his second year as well. This dude is so smart. He's so smart that he's going to change up some things. He's going to get it right too. It's his first time being a head coach of anything. Nonetheless, the NFL, you know, so – that's, that's what makes me excited. The second year round, when you got somebody that's so smart, Tua's super smart, 
Mike White is super smart. You know, Skylar Thompson is super. These guys are intelligent people. So imagine, yeah, going into year two of this situation, this, this the system when you got the whole offensive line back, you got all the running backs back, you got all your top receivers back. You know, it's gonna be it's gonna be something special for this team. Then you look on the other side of football, you bring in Vic Fangio, and you get you talk about Jalen Ramsey. You got X. You're gonna get Brandon Jones back. You got Snowman back there as well, and Javon Holland. And you got the defensive line with Jalen Phillips. You know, you Chubb. You mean you just keep going on and on and on. The whole key to this whole team, the success for this team will depend on our health, which is the hardest part to control. You can't control it. If this team is healthy, you gotta imagine this team being one of the best teams, not just in the AFC, but in the NFL. And I'm excited about it. I'm super excited about it, bro. Yeah, me too. I think that too would be my bet right now to win comeback play of the year. I think provided he's healthy, I think he's gonna have a great season. And I think with Daniel uh, also- if, if Tua if Tua can stay healthy, he could also win MVP. Mm, yeah, could could win both. Not just come back. He can do both. He can he could win both because if he's got the people around him to give him that opportunity. If he can stay healthy and get 17 games, give me 16 games. He's going to be dynamic in this system again. So just watch. That's what I. That's just me. I don't want to put any added pressure on to or on the on the team. And I hate doing that. And I might get a phone call from you know the Dolphins media relations like, hey OJ, don't. Leave. But hey, that's how I feel personally. It's just me, not the Dolphins talking like that. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think going back to my Daniel, I think that he is also very likable. I think there's only really. Sean McVay, I think that is more likable for me than the McDaniel. I think he's a really seems a really cool guy, and I think that he, in just one year, has got some really good, some good quotes. I'm hoping that he can bring some more in the second year. Um, right, Q and A time. We've asked, we've asked some fans to ask you some questions. Okay. Um, so the, just going to find them on my phone right now. Um, so the first question comes from um, Scotty Weaver, and he's asking here. Um, who was the toughest defender that you had to play against in coverage? You know, I, well, I played against Deion Sanders, but I mean, that wasn't tough on on him. It was just tough on me. <laughs> <laughs> Danny, Danny didn't even think about throwing him my way against Deion. He's he was so incredible. But the one I dealt with more often than anybody was Ty Law from New England, and Ty Law was a nuisance, man. Big, strong fast you know just having to deal with him play in play out two times a year maybe a third time in the playoffs uh he, he was probably the toughest guy that i i dealt with on a regular basis okay um chris weeks is asking you today if you could choose one past dolphins receiver to have played opposite you that you didn't play with who would it be Oh, see, that's a that's a tough one right there because I got some Dolphins. They're all my great friends, you know. Mark Duper, Mark Clayton, Nat Moore are all great fl- friends of mine. So in order to not get in trouble, I'm going to go with Paul Warfield because, you know, I don't know Paul as well. Uh, Paul's the greatest wide receiver in Dolphins history. So I'm going to go with Paul Warfield. Um, and apologies, Wayne, our, our main guy who runs Fins Nation UK, he's asked you about your favorite Dan Marina story, but you've already sort of given us that, so you won't ask that again. Well, I've got a I got a better story that I Go like. On. Though. Go on, tell it. So I'll tell you, my favorite Dan Marino story, though, you know, is when um when Danny was retiring, right? He um I was actually with my 
my friends, not my family, my friends in Cancun, Mexico on vacation. And he called me at my hotel the night before. And he said, OJ, just want to let you know that I'm retiring tomorrow officially. I want to thank you for all you did, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm like, wow, Danny, man, that's an honor for you to even consider even reaching out to me, you know, for reaching out to me and letting me know that you're retiring. And so I wake up the next morning in my hotel room and I'm going to, you know, turn on TV to watch, you know, the, the retirement and, Sure enough, he mentions my name in his speech. Like, you know, O.J. McDuffie, one of the toughest players I ever played with. And I'm so glad I was by myself, Andy, because I cried like a baby. You know what I mean? Oh. I couldn't believe, for one, that he was retiring. For two, he thought about missing me in that retirement speech, man. So um, that was my that was my favorite moment. And I think to this day, man, that's probably why he's one of my favorite, favorite teammates ever, bro. Next question comes from Matt Coombs, a well-known British broadcaster. You all know from Sky and, and BBC back in the day. Um, but Matt is asking, who would win in a race, a 40-odd dash, between him and his producer, Ollie Thornton? I'm going to pick him. I don't even know what his, I don't know what his producer, how he runs, man. So I'm going to go with him. Okay. Um, next question comes from Lee Eveson who was asking you, during your time with the Dolphins, who's the one player you wish that the Dolphins traded or drafted for? Yeah, let's see. Um, well, yeah, I've had a lot of conversations with some other guys and other teams. Um, we actually traded for Troy Drayton, which was one of my wishes, and we got him. Um, I'm trying to think if there's anybody else that... I wish we'd have gotten Kijana Carter, one of my best friends, one of the best running backs in the game. He'd have been great for our team, but it cost us way too much to get him on our team. That's for sure. Okay. Um, next up comes from Robbie Warren, whose um, claim to fame is offering a vodka shop to Jason Sanders. He's asking, um, what advice would you give to a rookie in the league for preparing fair life after leaving the NFL? Yeah, I would, I would I would ask them to get started on what you want to do after football before you leave football. You're, you're going to make a lot of money and uh, make sure you take care of your money, you know, hold on to your money, save your money, but also have a game plan well before, you know, you get to year two, three, or four because you never know when that your career is going to end. So for these guys, if there's something that they love outside of football, start working on that second career right away because football is only a – you know, most guys average a little over three years in their career. So imagine if you're 21 and you're out of the league at 24, 25, you got a long life to live. So you better figure out what you're going to do. So start figuring out your second career plan well ahead of your, you know, your your late years in your NFL career. And apologies to Jez Gallard. His question was whether you caught, basically asking whether you caught Marina's last touchdown. But he has told me to tell you that he loves you. <laughs> yeah, no, we know who caught his last one. That was a Ronnie Gaston, number 420. But, uh, yeah, there was like uh, – there's so many milestones that we talk about as former players because one thing about the Dolphins is they do a great job of keeping the former players together. And we're going on a cruise soon, all like 35 alumni with our families, and that's courtesy of the Dolphins. And there's also going to be a lot of fans on there. The fan cruise is supposed to be unbelievable. But one thing about us is that we spend a lot of time together all the time. So we know who the first touchdown was, Joe Rose. We know 100, 200, you know, 300. 
you know, it was Keith Byers. Um, 400 was me. The last one was a Ronnie Gaston. So all this stuff is because we all sit there and we chit-chat a lot with each other. Fantastic. And that is the end of the Q&A and the end of the podcast. Uh, before we do go, obviously, since you've retired, you've got a lot into the media world. You did some radio back in the day and you currently do a podcast called, you mentioned it before, the Fish Tank Podcast. For anyone listening um, who hasn't heard it yet, tell us more about the podcast. Yes, our podcast is is a lot different than a lot of other podcasts. We're not, we're not dealing with X's and O's. You know, we're dealing more with stories and, and, and storytellers and guys that either play for the Dolphins, some guys that played against the Dolphins, some guys that work for the Dolphins and could be media, uh, equipment, security, or different realms. But it's all about Miami Dolphin-centric stuff. And, you know, we've, we've been blessed to get some current guys. Um, we're about to drop our Zach Thomas podcast, which is extraordinary. It's like one of my favorites of all time. We've done over 150 of them so far. But this one right here with Zach, who's a really good friend of mine, and, and my co-host, Seth Levitt, who is the, I should give him more credit than anything because Seth's the one who originated this, this podcast and he was gracious enough to invite me along with him. Um, and uh, this Zach Thomas one is is so much fun. Talking about him getting into the Hall of Fame, you know, and um, finally getting into the Hall of Fame. But yeah, I mean, that's, 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 I mean, that's, that's what it's all about, man. Our, our podcast is all about giving people some stories that they probably have never heard before and bringing them kind of into the locker room with some of the players they loved and grew up watching. Fantastic. I mean, if you haven't checked out already, go check it out and you can listen to that as well. Um, but yeah, that is the end of the podcast. So first of all, thank you, OJ, for coming on. Thank you for having me, man. It was great. I appreciate it, brother. Oh, it was great having you on. And before we do go, quick thanks to Wayne for creating the podcast logo and to Jess Goddard for creating the podcast music, which is debuting in this episode. So I hope you guys like it. Let us know if you can what you think of the new music. So thank you guys, and we'll see you guys next time.